Because then, in those days, the only thing that would stop me from going, going, going was when I'd get sick. And I would get sick. I'd get pneumonia or bronchitis or those kinds of things. But I got a big wake-up call just two years ago when um, I was told I had a massive rare tumor on my brainstem and wrapped around my vocal cords. Welcome to Run This World. My name is Nicole DeBoom. I'm a former pro athlete turned entrepreneur. Each week, I'll bring you insights and inspiration from some of the world's greatest visionaries who will help you run your world in ways that you didn't even realize were possible. All in the framework of the amount of time it takes for the average person to run a 5K. That's 36 minutes and 38 seconds, give or take a mile. We often go long, so get ready. Thank you for spending some time with me today. Now let's get this workout started. Hey everyone, I hope you're having a great day. I certainly am. See, Mother's Day just happened this past weekend and while I hate the commercial aspect to so many holidays, it's actually an incredible time for some of us to do a little reflection. So if you're a mom, you've got kids, it's a good time to reflect. If you're a kid and you have a mom, it's a great time to reflect. If you're a mothering type, it's a great time to reflect. So if, uh, if you've been listening to the podcast, you may have already heard episode 92, the last episode, which was a little ode to motherhood, which means you've already gotten a small glimpse into the mind of today's guest, Susie Reinhart, because I stole one of her quotes and turned it into my title of the last episode, which is titled, We Are Right Where We Need to Be. So there you go. You ready? Today's episode with Susie is so full of more incredible quotes that I could probably steal about 50 of them for future episodes, and I might. Um, So here's the deal. I I think that when someone goes through a profound, life-changing event and then actually takes the time to reflect on it, see, I think that's the key, that's when those nuggets of pure gold start shining through for all the world to see. Susie, for all practical purposes, was living a beautiful life as an accomplished ultra runner, a professional career woman, a perfect wife, and a perfect mom of two. Note the use of the word perfect. When a couple years ago, a few years ago now, out of the blue, she was diagnosed with a brainstem tumor, seriously and literally wrapped around her brainstem that threatened to end her life, whether she operated on it or not. It's not a lot of good decisions to make there. Um, But the very good decision that came out of this was that as Susie is with us today, healthy and living a beautiful life, she made the decision to live a very different life than she did before. And I can't wait to share her with you. But before she comes on, I want to share a story that relates to the title and Susie's true mantra, which is, I choose joy over fear, brave over perfect. I think many of you are already nodding your heads. This is going to be a good one. Um, This mantra speaks to me on so many levels. I think we can apply it to uh, just about every big decision in life. See, we don't often even take the first step because fear is holding us back. And the 
the fear of not being perfect is also holding us back. So in honor of taking first steps when the future is completely unknown, Skirt Sports is offering you 15% off to celebrate both the fact that I did take those first steps when who knew if anyone was ever going to buy one of my crazy skirt things. And here's also to your leap of faith to try something that you've been wanting to check out, but it just seems a little risky. (laughs) Different stages of risk, but that's okay. Because first steps are never easy, no matter what they are. But once you get the ball rolling, momentum is a powerful thing. So in order to do this, use the code RTWPODCAST15 for 15% off on skirtsports.com. Or speaking of mothers we've been talking a little bit about Mother's Day, come over to the Mothership, our flagship store located right in the middle of Boulder at 28th and Pearl Streets. Tell them I sent you or tell them the code or whatever, Podcast 15 All right, are you ready to choose joy over fear, brave over perfect? Good. Now let's get Susie on the show. Okay, so Susie, what are your summer plans then? <laughs> I'm flying into Toronto with my kids so they can go to a canoe camp in northern Ontario. Like the whole summer? Pretty much. Most of July and some of August. Awesome. Yeah. Is that something you did when you were younger? Yes. (sighs) You're a canoer? Big time. Are are they called canoeists? They are called canoeists. (laughs) (laughs) Oh my gosh, this is so great. So, um, so, hey, we're on. We're starting. We're kicking it off. Uh, Susie, thanks for coming out today. It's so fun to be here. I am so grateful for you. You know, I don't even really know you yet, but when I saw you speak at the Truth Teller Tour, I knew there was something special about you. I mean, obviously, there's a lot special about you. The fact that you were speaking at an inaugural, like, you know, Truth Teller Tour is a big deal. Um, So let's just kick it right off. Let's talk about that night and that talk you did. And the title of the talk is The Voice That Soars, Mm -hmm. right? People can already tell just from listening to the little bit we we, uh, preambled here that your voice is a little crackly. Mm -hmm. So this may be both literal and figurative, huh? That's right. So tell us about your journey. How come your voice is a little crackly? (laughs) Sure. And first, I just want to say that night was really, really fun for me because I was a fangirl with you there on stage and then being able to be on stage and look at you and feel like that is someone I have always aspired to be, like out there starting her own thing and doing it her way in all the ways that I love with running, with outdoors, with trails, with kids, with people. Anyway, so thank you. Oh, you are amazing. You know, what's funny is I wonder after I did that talk and opened up about like alcohol issues, Uh did you still feel the same way? (laughs) Yeah, great question. More so. Um, Because, okay, so my voice is crackly because my story is essentially that I was successful in all the ways that were shiny, right? That I was a leader of a school and I was a champion ultra runner and I was a mom but I was 
on antidepressants and I was pretty hollow on the inside. Um, but wait, I didn't know about the anti- antidepressants. Did you? You didn't mention that. No, I haven't had the guts. <laughs> Even during the Truth Teller tour, I didn't have the guts to but talk we're about doing that. Side. It. You're getting it out. I mean, this is a safe environment. We're just alone together in this room. But, you know, this episode is going to go out live and people are going to hear this. And there are people out there who are living that shiny life. Right. So, so what, what, what made you. You know, what was the need for the antidepressants? What inside wasn't right? Well, I think I was, you know, coming face to face with the fact that I really was a perfectionist, even though I wasn't your standard kind. I mean, you're definitely going to see me in PJs and without makeup at the grocery store. My house is a mess. But for the things that are really important, like in terms of relationships or work, I never felt like I was enough. And so I would push and push and strive and say things that I thought a good leader, right, or a good mom or a good wife would say. Um, And then at the end, I would feel like there was nothing left. I was just depleted. I was overwhelmed. I was exhausted. And so I ultimately ended up in a fetal position on a psychiatrist's couch who quickly diagnosed me with depression and anxiety. And the sad thing is is that I was actually relieved when she gave me the antidepressants because I thought, great, now I'll be able to get more done. Interesting. So this like need for to be productive was Mm -hmm. and keep plowing forward was overriding the fact that you just had like a somewhat serious (laughs) diagnosis. Yeah, and that just tells you how sort of sick I was, right? That I had built this strategy of doing and achieving in order to kind of avoid criticism or to gain praise and approval. Um, And then those things build up in such a way that I don't know how to do it any other way. Which brings us to the voice crackling. Yeah. Because then, in those days, the only thing that would stop me from going, going, going was when I'd get sick. And I would get sick. I'd get pneumonia or bronchitis or those kinds of things. But I got a big wake-up call just two years ago when um, I was told I had a massive rare tumor on my brainstem and wrapped around my vocal cords. Okay, wait. So <laughs> you were just told this. Like, w- did you have symptoms? What happened? What led you to even go check it out? Yeah, good question, because I don't want everybody to think, oh, I have headaches. I must have a tumor. Um, I did have headaches. I had really particular headaches. They were at the base of my skull, and they actually would get worse when I lay down rather than when I was standing up. I had them checked out several times. I even had an MRI. But in my case, my situation is so rare, and they made a mistake. They actually did not catch it on the MRI. So three years went by of me just trying to deal with it. And I thought, oh, I have a clean MRI. It must be postural. It must be stress. It must be, I don't know, diet. So I hormones, I tried everything. And then one day I ended up throwing up a lot and went back to the doctors they did another mri and this is when we found that it was massive that it had grown a lot and um 
that it was lethal and incurable. How old were you? 45. Oh, my God. Uh, how long ago was this? Two years ago. Oh, my gosh. Mm-hmm. Um, how old were your kids at the time? 10 and 12. Yep. And we didn't even get into them yet, you know, yeah. just a little quick mention here. But um, so suddenly, so let's lay out the picture then. You are you still feeling like hollow inside and not quite enough? Or are you had you reached a point in your life where you were feeling a little more stable when this hit? No, I think this was the wake up call that I needed. And I, I'm not. I'm not exaggerating when I say that this was exactly the right thing at the right time for me. Um, What I discovered was that I, um, that I had to sort of face the fact that this was something I could not push through, that I could not win, so to speak. It was there and I had to face it accept it i couldn't control it i had to just respond and that made me change everything about my life and so you get this news and it it seems pretty extreme like Mm. did you have to make a decision very quickly on what to do next very quickly and again a gift because it was so big and so fast we were told that i had probably three to five months to live Um, and that I needed emergency surgery right away, but that they weren't sure who could do it, if anyone. Um, So what I mean by a gift was that we immediately decided that we were going to tell our family and friends and ask for help because we didn't know if someone might be able to help. So it meant that I opened up in a much greater way than maybe I've ever done before. Wow. And you mentioned like, you know, part of this is about acceptance. Well, you had like a day, you know, it's like, (laughs) boom, you're hit with this news. You don't have a lot of time to accept it and process it and and like, let it sit with you and all those like nice boulderish mom things to do. Like you had to make a big, huge, literal life or death decision immediately. Immediately. And here's the thing. I mean, Obviously, I had been thinking about how to be the person I wanted to be for a long time. (laughs) But this wake-up call was so big that I was shocked by how fast it was clear to me that I had been wasting my voice and wasting my time um, worrying, wrapped up in fear, hesitating, striving, I had an awesome, awesome life, don't get me wrong, but just what it was making me feel like was off. So just clearing that out felt immediate. And um, yeah, it didn't take long. I think it took 72 hours when I was like, everything's going to change right now. Wow. Oh my gosh. I'm... I'm, uh, I wrote a lot of notes for today, but I'm like a tiny bit speechless anyway, because here we go, we're talking about voices, because I'm processing what that might feel like. You know, something, something didn't happen yet. You got the news, you had to figure it out, you had three days, 72 hours, mm-hmm. boom, and you're gonna make a decision and you know life is gonna be different from here on, mm-hmm. right? So what were the risks um, either way, you said mm. 
you weren't sure somebody could do this, you know, was there like a high risk of you not coming out of the surgery? Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, so the risks were that if I didn't do anything, that the tumor was so wrapped up in every major artery and nerve and on the brain stem, which is like what controls your breathing, your swallowing, your heart, <laughs> sort of everything. Um, and the risk of surgery was that how do you remove it and remove all of it without affecting all of those things? So it was pretty clear that I would lose my voice. It was pretty clear that I'd lose the ability to swallow on my own. And they weren't sure just the extent of like paralysis or um, brain damage that I would have. So it was it was an exploratory time of do we go with the safest possible surgery where we just remove a tiny amount or do we go all the way and try and give me the best chance for survival down the line with this aggressive tumor? Ultimately, I chose the best possible chance um, of survival and we were lucky in that we we Wait. were connected with people who found us surgeons, blah, 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 blah. And the best chance of survival, you mean the more aggressive approach, the best chance of long-term survival or the... Yeah. 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 So just to make things worse. <laughs> <laughs> so funny to like well, think about all this right now, but... Because well, you're just in response mode. You right. Know? And time and distance allow you to like tell the story and almost laugh about it. Like you just, yeah. like we are in a way, you know, but it wasn't like that then. And I think everybody listening can understand that. Right. But now you can actually have some kind of deeper understanding of the decisions you made. Right. And, and I think, you know, there's a lesson in that, which is we can respond to anything. You know, like we think we're going to fall apart if something happens to us or to our children. And we do emotionally fall apart. But we are so much more resilient and capable, and our children are, than we think. And that's what I discovered. But just to make matters worse, the only surgery date available was my son's birthday. And so having to decide about this extreme surgery where yes, long-term survival might be good if all goes well, but there were very, very high risks that I wouldn't make it through the surgery. Um, so just to think about dying on my son's birthday was actually the most difficult thing of all. And that's where my husband and friends and family kind of came in with wisdom, which was to say, your kid, is okay like he's he's fine he has everything he needs on the inside to manage and you've been such a good mom so here i'm gonna cry <laughs> um that whatever happens he'll be able to be the man that he needs to be and that um it's not you making him that way it's mm -hmm. just who he is so <laughs> oh man okay let's take a cry moment <laughs> um if you're out on the trails running you can take a moment to collect yourself here um i think anybody who's a parent um or who has a parent which is everyone can uh put yourself on one side or the other of that equation and and you're right you know you 
making this decision on his birthday wasn't going to change the person he may or may not become. Right. Yeah. You know, on that note, you said going into this surgery or, you know, prior to being hit with this diagnosis, um, you had thought a lot about the person you wanted to be. Mm -hmm. And all of a sudden, when you got hit with this, you realized, okay, now I can be that person I've always wanted to be. Like, why weren't you being that person before? Mm. And what was that person you always wanted to be, but you weren't for, or all of it? I don't know. Share share more on that. Um, I was being a lot of the person I wanted to be. I love to run and loved um, racing. I loved my job. Um, And I loved my family, but I wasn't, the thing I really wanted to do was to write and to work part-time and to um, spend time in the wilderness as much as possible. And I just had the thoughts that I'll go broke, um, I'll disappoint people, and I'm not helping the world enough with those things. So as soon as I got this diagnosis, I picked up my pen and I started to write. And it felt like coming home. Wow. That's a really cool feeling. Well, and it's interesting because it sounds like inside you were the person you wanted to be. These are external things. Something Mm -hmm. was holding you back from becoming a writer, you know, or taking the risk. Is Mm -hmm. that what it was? You'd be taking too much risk. Yeah, because you didn't want to disappoint. You didn't want to go broke. Yeah, I think it's such a funny thing because people always thought of me as brave, right? Like who who goes and runs over mountains and crosses rivers and doesn't (laughs) think of themselves. I was definitely brave in every outside sense, but not brave in the ways that I, where I could be vulnerable, where I could expose how I felt and then put my writing out for people to judge the way, personally, I judge other people. I wasn't ready for that. Oh, oh, that judgment word. Oh, that's a big one, isn't it? Right. And, you know, it's something that we all try to think that we're non-judgmental people. Mm-hmm. But at the end of the day, is that even realistic to not judge anyone or anything? No, we are we are discerning, critical creatures. <laughs> and we have to embrace that. Yeah. And then learn to flip it so that we're not causing violence to ourselves or to others. Yeah. And so where did you learn that? Well, I got a coach and a therapist. I needed both. This was this was an intense time, folks. Wait, what kind of coach? Like a like a personal life coach. Oh, good. Mm-hmm. But not a running coach anymore because you'd been yeah. told you this isn't going to be a part of your life anymore. Right. All right, we're getting back to that. We'll come back to that. Yeah, <laughs> that's a biggie. Um, I luckily had a friend who just happened to be a coach, and she just called me and said, "You need me." I was like, yes, I do. (laughs) (laughs) And so she turned me on to things like Byron Katie's work. It's called The Work. And it's all about um, when thoughts come up, you do judge people. So work with those judgmental thoughts and flip them so that you can find an alternative that is more true in that thought. So if the thought is... um, um, my husband <laughs> is not doing what he should do, right? The The thought could be, my husband is doing exactly what he should do in this life. But how do you work with that to understand it? I'm doing a terrible 
job of explaining that. <laughs> you are not. You just. She just whispered, so you could not hear what she just said. Um, Susie, you are not doing a terrible job of explaining that. I mean, I do think this is really interesting, and I'll have to include a link to the work in the show mm-hmm. notes. But like, maybe your husband is doing exactly what he should be doing in the world, and then do you say like, why do I think he's not? Or do you like ask yourself why you're? why you've questioned that or framed it the you opposite the nice thing is you don't even need to get in the why you just stay in the level oh. of is that statement as true or could it be as true as the other statement that he's not doing it and for a little while i'd be like oh no it's definitely true he needs to be working out more he needs to be helping out more he needs to be you know but then i think actually he is on his own journey he is doing exactly what he's supposed to be doing and he is just as broken or just as whole as I am. So is that statement true, that he's not doing what he needs to be doing in the world? Yes. But could it also be true that he's doing exactly oh. what he needs to do to learn what he needs to do? And oh, that this kind is of good. flipping really helped me. Yeah, this is like, like life coaching 101. <laughs> yeah. you, this could be your new calling. Um, I think, yeah, we just gave people a lot to think about, especially when it comes to others. Because when you take those statements and and direct them towards yourself, that's what Mm. we try to avoid our whole lives. I don't want to ask myself if I'm not doing what I should be doing in the world, you know? It's easier to point the finger at somebody else close to us and say, oh, he's not doing what he should be doing. Right? Right. Yeah. Oh, my gosh. Well, let's let's come back then to uh, let's talk more about this operation the surgery let's actually take them through the nitty-gritty here how did like how long was it what what happened when you first came out wow um the surgery was in boston i ended up finding a surgeon at um, brigham women's and he decided to do two back-to-back craniotomies that took 36 hours um and then a neck fusion which was another few hours because my the tumor had eaten away at my spine and at the top of my skull. So there was actually, once he removed the tumor, there was nothing holding my head on. So they had to put in titanium screws and bolts and part of my own ribs and stuff to make everything stay. And so one of the things that visually you can notice is it it's like when I see you, it's like, you know, when you wake up and you have a crick in your neck and you can't turn to one side, so you have to turn your whole body to look to the right-hand side, right? Yeah. Um, so that's kind of how your neck is right now, right? You can't, tr- you don't have as much mobility to turn your head. Yeah, I like to think of myself as like character in Sopranos or something. Like one of those mafia guys is just always like turning fully to look at you. Um, <laughs> it's very intimidating, <laughs> but no problem. <laughs> I love that. Yeah, it's just, I'm fused from skull yeah. to C5. And it turns okay. out it's cool. That is where 70% of our rotation comes from. So all from those top three vertebrae. And okay. I didn't realize that, but that that's the bulk of our ability to oh. move. Oh, wow. Okay. Mm-hmm. So let me ask something. I have to go a little further back. Um, why did you get the tumor? Do you know? Right. I don't know. It's a, they don't know very much about it at all. They call it a chordoma, which is a skull-based tumor. They think that they are, that it has been there since birth for me. Um, and then just decides to wake up at some point in your life. The woo-woo side of me believes that it decided to wake up 
right on what I call the fear center, like the medulla oblongata of your brain is the fear center and right on my vocal cords because I needed to recognize that I was spending too much time in fear and too much time responding or reacting to fear with my voice. You know, you guys, um, I'm going to put a link. There will be a link in the show notes to the talk that you did in the Truth Teller Tour. Um, I got to see it live. It was absolutely amazing because you were considered like an amateur speaker that night, but you stole the show. You were the best on the stage by far. You're just amazing. And um, you all need to watch this because we're going to talk about a few of these, the things that um, the points you made in your speech one of which is what happened to your voice afterwards, both figuratively and then, I guess, real like in in reality. But then the figurative part was really, really compelling for me. Mm. The decisions you started making on how to use your voice, the mm-hmm. voice that you still had. Did it take a while for your voice to come back? Four months. Wow. So you had zero voice for a while. I had a voice, but it was like um, a bagpipe that wasn't working. It would... <laughs> It took. <laughs> what does that sound like? Like, uh, like kind of wheezy and like, whoosh. yeah, little oh my god, I mean, whistles or just honking. Oh, slash <laughs> wheezing slash very breathy. Um, my children could could not hear me. You had to just come really close. No one on the phone could hear me at all. Um, so restaurants, forget it. Actually, they're still difficult. Um, any anything i was just very 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 quiet and even then it was more squeaky like i thought i would say a normal sentence but it would come out like oh yeah (laughs) (laughs) but you could hear yourself saying it like that or in your head were you like why can't you understand me i'm saying what i'm saying no i could hear it come out like that but you know when you're like watch out or something and it came (laughs) out like Oh, it's like had to be so freaking frustrating. You know, yeah. you it's like anything. You stub your toe and then you can't use it. And you're like, I didn't realize how much that toe is so important to me. Like our voice. Yeah. This is our lifeline in so many ways. You talk about the phone. I mean, you can't talk to your people you love on the phone. How? Right. You, at least we have other <laughs> communication tactics now. But like. It's a big deal. Mm-hmm. So what happened as you like came out of this and you started to regain your voice? Um, maybe more of the figurative part. Like how did mm-hmm. it how did it get you thinking about what your voice meant to you and how you wanted to use it to be the person that you wanted to be? I am a talker. I love people and I love talking and to shut me up for four months was fascinating. Um One, it made me realize how, you know, I had to think really carefully about what I was going to say. And because it would take so much energy, like all of my breath, all of my force to get the words out. I couldn't, I had to say very specific things like, please, I need a pillow behind my neck now, you know, rather than, hey, have you done your homework yet to my children? Or, hey, honey, are you really having two fried eggs for breakfast again? You know, like the things that we say that are just full of like know-it-allness and like I said, fear telling me 
I have to I have to do something about this moment so that my the people around me will be equipped for life, you know. Um, so <laughs> what I mean is that in order for me to learn how to use my voice again, I started with just listening, listening to others, listening to myself, and I found that I had really two voices in my head. One was fear, and one was joy. And joy would say things like, your kids are fine, or look at that gorgeous sunrise, or I really would love an avocado on a piece of toast right now. Joy was not worried about how long I was going to be without a voice or how long um, I would be in a neck brace or whether I would ever be able to run again. Joy was just like whimsical and um, pretty content. So when I went to engage with people and I could only sort of say a few things at a time, I would just listen and say, well, what does Joy want to say right now? And Joy would say, I love you. Or Joy would say, hey, show me that card game you just learned. Or tell me about your day. And all the other stuff that was full of worry or doubt or nagging or just fear vanished. It would come back, it always came back, but the joy voice was so powerful that once I started practicing using it every day, I ended up doing everything I wanted to do rather than the stuff I felt I had to do. Oh, I love this. And actually, I'm envisioning um, the movie Inside Out, of course, Mm -hmm. which I'm sure you watched at some point. I haven't seen it in a long time, but I remember loving it. And joy and fear. Mm. They are both in there. And joy is the one that you want to gravitate to, don't you? Yeah. I mean, they're all needed to help us, like, you know, take care of all the things that happen to us in life Mm -hmm. or the things we want to do. But, like, when one can prevail, we always want it to be joy. Right. And so what were those things you mentioned that you didn't want to be doing that maybe you were doing, that this process helped you realize it was okay to cut? Well, once I was up and walking again and um, talking a little bit more, I just started small. And mostly, you know, a friend called and asked if I wanted to go to a movie. And I didn't want to go. But I said, sure, because that's just what we do, right? Like, I didn't want to be rude. or So I went to the movie. Well, the movie was horrible. It was, (laughs) there was a moment where a woman was, like, kicking a dog to death. And a guy was, like, stabbing his eyes out with a steak knife. And it was labeled as a, like a comedy, a dark comedy. Oh, <laughs> this is really bad. <laughs> so, this is the lobster, by the way. If any of you are huh, like, I haven't some, seen that yet. Now I, I know. know. <laughs> Just telling you, not my style. Some people liked it. And I walked out of the movie. I just got up. I crawled over my husband's, my friend's husband's lap and left. And that felt really big because I would never have done that before. I was too polite. I was too... I wouldn't be too worried about what my friend would have thought. And then little things like... I love that. Yeah. By the way, I think this is cool. All right, give us some more examples. We're we're getting some... We're opening our eyes right now. Um, Another example, as I said in the talk, was a friend of mine invited me to a Super Bowl party. And we went every year to that party. And 
I love these friends. But when she called this time, I just said, I love you, but I hate football. I'm not coming. (laughs) (laughs) It's a waste of your life. Waste. A waste. The things that we do, or that I was doing, I mean, maybe you guys are better at saying no, but I I said yes to everything because I, I genuinely... I love people and I love my friends and I want to do well by the world. But all of them adding up meant that I was overwhelmed and depleted. And so the joy voice was really saying no for the first six months. Like, I feel like that's all I said. (laughs) But then saying yes to other things like, I really want to go for a walk with you. I don't want to go to happy hour. I don't like sitting in a loud place where people are drinking and it's expensive. I want to just go for a walk. Can we do that? And people always said yes. How cool is that? So cool. Wow. So let's wake up, everybody. (laughs) Well, let's talk about as you're waking up here, you're also reinventing. Because a big part of how you defined yourself and one of the things that you felt made you valuable or important was your running life. And now, you were you a professional ultra runner? No, in my dreams. In your dreams. But it was a huge part of who you were. You were a committed runner. You ran these super long, crazy distances that were like only things that superheroes did, right? <laughs> so... How do you redefine yourself mm-hmm. when you come out? And did the doctor literally said, you can't run? And why? Why can't you run? Because right. you look pretty healthy, other right. than Thank knowing you. that you have to turn your body certain ways. Maybe that's part of it, but mm-hmm. why? Right, and I should probably say that I, I, am, I am healthy. I had a checkup in December, and everything is great. Like, they are probably going to publish a, a medical article about everything that happened with um, with my team and with me in terms of, I'm talking about a team of surgeons. When you're in for 36 hours, you don't just have one dude. You have like Oh my gosh, amazing. Um, they were amazing. And so I, I say that with total joy that I am healthy. What I have is incurable. So I live with the knowledge that any day it could grow back, it could come back. But right now, I'm great. And the reason I can't run is because of the fusion, actually. Um, My head is literally held together with just bolts and rods. And so like a paper clip with a lot of impact or bending back and forth, it could break. And for me, that's not good. Um, So the impact is why I can't run. It also feels bad. When I run now, it's too wobbly. So that was a big blow, lying there in the hospital bed, realizing that who am I without a voice and who am I if I can't run? So I had to come to terms with the fact that if I'm not going to run, what are the pieces of running that I love? Okay, for me, number one was being outside on a trail. And could I still do that? Well, yes, I could still walk. I could still hit the mountains. I could still look at the wildflowers and the trees. The next piece that was huge for me was um, that exertion, that movement, that body, that feeling of like coming out the other end and feeling elated. So I'm learning, I'm learning very slowly other forms of movement that I can do that give me that same 
body buzz, I want to call. The part that's hardest for me and surprised me is the company, that I loved the people I used to run with, my morning conversations with the people I would train with. You know, I don't, I don't see those women anymore just because we don't have that regular routine of running and talking about everything from, you know, our day to our hardest challenges in life. So I miss them terribly. And I'm trying to come up with ways now of volunteering for races, of, you know, making the effort to call them for tea or for a walk, just to get those people and runners back in my life. Hey, this is huge because a lot of people listening have had injuries, not like you, um, but things that have forced them to take a little break, right? And sometimes never run again and have to reevaluate and then go forward. But I hadn't thought about sort of deconstructing running. What, what parts of it really fulfill me? Because you could probably also then say, what parts of it did I not really like that much? <laughs> and then you can say, good, good riddance to that. Yeah. But um, I mean, kudos, because this is I don't know what I would do if I couldn't be an athlete of some sort, mm-hmm. you know, and you've found a way to re-navigate that. So mm-hmm. what do you do for fitness? Well, you guys would laugh because now I am, because my neck fusion was so sensitive at first, they started me with one pound weights lifting and I was offended. I was like, I'm an athlete. This is so one pound? boring. <laughs> Totally. Those bands and yoga balls. and um, But now I'm trying something called gyrotonic, which is a uh, dance-based Pilates. Um, and I love dance and have always loved dance. So that, it's though it's not related to dancing, um, meaning you're not going to see me out there like misty copeland for the ballet i'm i'm dancing basically and i'm moving my body in ways that i just haven't tried before and then i'm exploring swimming with a snorkel but it's awkward cool (laughs) yeah i was wondering if you were going to get in the water because you know the non-weight bearing activity if that would be okay for you yeah i i mean i love i think what i'll end up doing is paddle boarding and swimming with a snorkel I just have to get motivated. Yeah, but we don't have a lot of open water here in Colorado. So where are you doing that? I I, uh, sneak in on my friends' memberships at clubs. (laughs) (laughs) Or just the why. So, okay, this couldn't have been cheap. And insurance Mm. only covers so much. Like, how did you pay for this? Did you end up going broke? Your fear in the first place? Right. (laughs) Um, I have to say that I'm a story where insurance really did help us. and we also did a GoFundMe campaign and raised a lot of money um, just to help with all the costs because this is a lifetime thing. So, okay. So how, in the end here, one of the big fears you had going in was your kids mm-hmm. and what would happen to them and how they were going to come out of this. How have they adapted they have surprised me and not surprised me every step of the way in the sense that they have been beautiful. They have cried. They have, you know, 
battled with it, but they've also been my biggest champions and each other's biggest champions. My husband, too. I mean, it's a love story. I was so, you know, tied up with wanting to fix him all the time because we're different and I'm a doer and he's quieter. Um, (laughs) (laughs) But like, I cannot believe how lucky I am to have such incredible support from him and love that just, I just now accept him completely for who he is. That's, uh, and and I'm assuming that he has a newfound respect for you as well, I'm sure. I met him at the event, and uh, mm-hmm. it was really cool to see your whole family out there supporting you. Yeah. Wow. So Thanks. in the talk, you mentioned um, you had this moment where you realized that you were walking through the world as if the world and life should celebrate you. And at some point during this process, you realized that you should be celebrating the world. Mm. And and there was some kind of paradigm shift that happened there. Yeah, that's right. That goes right back to what we were talking about in terms of the running, right? Like, I thought that my ability to run more than 30 miles, no sweat, and even win races at the master's level in this area <laughs> was proof that I was superhuman or that I had a that I had an extraordinary ability. So it made me special. And so when I was lying there not able to move, I thought, well, what's gonna make me extraordinary going forward? And what I realized is that, like we were talking about, I had the question backwards. The fear is saying, you know, you're not extraordinary. But Joy was saying, the question isn't about, you know, how are you going to be extraordinary? It's how is the world extraordinary? And that just meant that now I notice things, I slow down, I look at the plants, I really pay attention to the trees and the birds. I notice people who need help around me and I just respond and help um, in ways that People always tell runners to slow down, and I like to go fast. But what I meant by this kind of slowing down is really just paying attention and giving myself permission to sit in the grass and write or to enjoy the warmth of the sun on my face. And that made me realize that this world is so extraordinary and that the job is not for the world to be celebrating me, but for me to be telling everyone and being grateful for this incredible world that we live in. Oh, I absolutely love that. And you know, in that, uh, you mentioned picking your writing back up. Mm-hmm. So let's talk about that for a minute because I believe you are working on your book. Am I, I correct? I am. <laughs> You've got a new chapter to write about because it sounds like you started your book before all of this happened. I did. I started the book as a teacher and a former director of a school where I was noticing that a lot of girls were really anxious and that it was limiting their abilities to take risks or move forward in the world in their full potential. And so I wrote, you know, first 12 pages I wrote over and over and over again trying to get them right. And then I put it away. And when I got this diagnosis, I pulled it back out of the box, 
I started to write again. And the first sentence I wrote, it just came to me was, I choose joy over fear and brave over perfect. And I just kept writing. And now this time, unless instead of being a teacher, sort of telling my students what they should do in order to be their full selves, I realized I was the one on antidepressants striving, striving, striving for this idea of perfection. I was the one who needed to write about my own journey of achieving success but feeling like I was empty. And so that's what the book starts out about and then goes right into the tumor and all the wisdom that came from that and all the joy that I've learned about accepting things as they are and moving forwards anyway. That's so amazing. I mean, your statement is, I'm going to be quoting that in the show notes and we're going to we're going to make more mention of it, but I choose joy over fear and brave over perfect. We all need to come to that conclusion at some point. Maybe some people listening today, boom, that's their trigger. And you know, we started this by talking a little bit about, you know, feeling like you were someone on the outside, but inside not so great and, and being on antidepressants. Are you now today? Be- no. No. Having gone through all of this, you would think if any time in life, you would be you would be on antidepressants now. Right. Right. Yeah, right. Um, and I'm not against medication for those who need it, by the way. I think it's a super helpful thing and saved my life at a time when I was really depleted. Um, but no, I am on vitamin C. <laughs> Ooh, let's get the let's get your cocktail down here. Because I totally agree with you. I mean, I think I think that uh, medicine, whatever it is, is important at times in our life, and we need to not be so stubborn, especially yeah. athletes. We can tend to be stubborn. And I remember when I was having a baby, I was like, I'm not doing the drugs. And then I yeah. ended up with all the drugs because right. you got to get through stuff how you got to get through it, right? That's a small instance. But okay, so you're on vitamin C. What else? Well, that's not small. I think, again, it's that idea that we have this idea of how pregnancy is going to go, right? True. We have this idea of how we're going to be glowing in the water birth that we have. <laughs> <laughs> totally all natural. <laughs> all natural. And we're oh going to breastfeed until they're seven. And then we're going <laughs> to... Um, well, anyway, life has different plans for us. So, right, yeah, for me, um, I am happily off antidepressants. But a lot of that is because... I think my new drug is saying no to people and to things that I just don't want to do. And I say yes to naps. (laughs) Sorry for laughing, but I nap maybe twice a day most days for 11 minutes at a time. Um, I've always been someone who liked a good nap, but now it's kind of essential. But why 11 minutes? What's up with that? I know, why 11 minutes? I don't know. Do you set a timer? I have a timer on my watch that's set for 11 minutes, so that's helpful. And um, (laughs) Is there science behind that? Is it like the drop into the deep sleep and it triggers some of those happy hormones? There is, and I think it's actually around 12 minutes, but I'm just too lazy to change my timer. (laughs) That is so awesome. All right, we got to research this. This is huge. I'm loving your cocktail. Vitamin C, saying no to things I don't want to do, saying yes to naps, Mm -hmm. and choosing joy. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I love it. 
You know, we have been rocking this out. I think there's one big thing you have coming up in June. Mm-hmm. Your first TEDx talk. I'm excited. Um, I'm going to give a TEDx talk here in Boulder. I just met all the people who are going to give talks that night yesterday and um, incredibly diverse, believe it or not. And why well, believe inspiring. it or not, because it's Boulder <laughs> and Boulder. we don't have a lot of diversity. Right. Uh, yeah. All right. So I'm excited and oh. honored. Okay, so uh, we need to we need to watch you. All right, they might even have a live stream. So people who don't live here, okay, we're gonna check that out. So cool, you're just such a phenomenal speaker. You're gonna touch so many people. If you haven't gotten tickets for Boulder's TEDx, you need to. What day is it again? Sunday, June third. Oh, cool. We have our skirt sports uh, thirteen or five k, ten k that morning. <gasps> so Maybe people I can are help you. I can oh, volunteer. You come volunteer, and well, then everybody who's doing the race, you get over to the. Where is it again? Is it on CU? It's at, this year, it's at Chautauqua. <gasps> oh my gosh! All right, now we have our Sunday night plans. It's happening. It's, happening. it's on. Cool. Well, we have been going for a while. We're going to give your vocal cords a rest here. Um, we're going to end with one question I ask everybody who comes on our show, mm-hmm. which is. If you can give our listeners one final piece of advice, one little nugget to help them run their worlds in a bigger and better way, what would it be? Sleep more, worry less. Ta-da! Let's hit that (laughs) 11-minute timer, everybody. Wherever you are right now, start that timer. That was amazing. Susie, you you are your truly special person, and... uh, I'm so glad that you have figured that out for yourself finally. Oh, thank you. Awesome. Feel mutually. Hey there. I'm back. Um, sitting across from Susie today, I just felt this energy of full love, acceptance, and yes, joy. <laughs> I often wonder if uh, energy is palpable. I think I think it is, and I think Susie's is, and. You may even feel it through the airwaves. And what's really interesting um, is that I can almost guarantee that her energy prior to her tumor and prior to her surgery and prior to this massive life change was most likely not the same energy. And here's what that tells me. I think we may be born who we are. I just said that and used my little air quotes because, you know, we've all heard that before. We are who we're born to be. We are who we are when we're born. And I bet this is true in many ways, but here's what Susie shows us. We can change the way we look at the world. We can change the things about ourselves that don't make us happy. And we can change the energy that we put into the universe. This is powerful. This is power. You don't need to go through a life or death situation to make the changes that will lead to a more fulfilled life. You just need to decide to make them. It blows my mind that Susie was living the perfect life, again in quotes. <laughs> That's how I think of that. And, uh, and she was on antidepressants during the perfect life. And now she leads a joyous, brave, and admittedly imperfect life. And her main drugs today are vitamin C, saying no to the things she doesn't want to do, and saying yes to naps. It's incredible. I want some of that. And I bet you do too. 
Uh, before I go today, I want to give a little shout out to all my listeners who've been with me since the beginning. You're amazing. If you've listened to every episode, oh my gosh, you have to chime in. Um, Run This World is really taking off these days and I couldn't be happier because it's one of my absolute favorite projects. If I could spend all day working on the podcast, I would. I've been getting some incredible reviews. Um, You see them on iTunes and I just have to read one to you. If you're not sure where to direct people to get started, I created some playlists on SoundCloud with my greatest hits. So you'll go to soundcloud.com and search Run This World with Nicole DeBoom. You'll see playlists on there and you can just copy those and send them to anybody you want. Um, It's just with various categories that may speak to different people at different times and it may help people find their entree into a whole new world of inspiration and connectedness. Uh, This review from Becky FF is titled, I'm Not Alone. So she gave me five stars. Thank you very much, Becky. Here we go. I've really been enjoying this podcast. I like Nicole's straightforward yet sensitive interviewing style. I had an uncanny moment when I was listening to the episode about Nicole's retreat to Costa Rica. My note, that is number 83 if you're interested. (laughs) Okay, back to Becky. And towards the end of the episode, Nicole said she realized on the retreat she was not alone. It really spoke to my heart. Right at that moment, I drove towards a billboard that declared, you are not alone. The universe was definitely telling me something. I probably would not have noticed that billboard had I not been listening to the podcast. Isn't it interesting how things are so connected and how they happen for us when we are open to receive them right when we need them? So Becky, kudos to you for sending that note, writing that amazing review and, uh, and sharing. I really appreciate it. And if you have a moment, go to the podcast app on your phone, search Run This World with Nicole DeBoom. You have to search it. Even if it's already in your library, the reviews won't show up. And write a review. Share your favorite episode because people read these and it could really help someone get started with, you know, a powerful nudge that they really need. All right, everyone, that's it for today. You know what time it is. It's time to get out there and run this world. Have a great workout, and I'll see you next week.